Hi, everyone. Susie O here. Just want to let all of you know that the certificates of deposit at Alliant Credit Union are now at, for a six-month CD, 5%, a 12- to 17-month CD, 5.15%, and an 18- to 23-month CD, 4.90%. And for those amounts of $75,000 or more, just add on 0.5% to those rates. Go to myalliant.com and check it out. Fifth, two thousand and twenty-two. Good morning, Susie. Do you, you know what today is? Well, first you have to welcome everybody, KT. Oh, welcome everybody to the Ask Susie and KT Anything Anything podcast. You should ask about some of my recipes for Cinco de Mayo. You have recipes? Yes, I do. What are we eating today? We're gonna have. Well, we're gonna try to do some really delicious fish tacos. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of beans rice and beans. And I have an idea to do my tuna tartare with avocado. Mm. Delicious. You know, KT, people are writing in and they are asking, what do we do with all the fish that we catch? So tell them. Well, the first thing we do is we share it. And that's the most important thing. The second thing we do is we consume it. And the third thing we do is we try to save and freeze certain types of fish that come only at seasonal, you know, like the wahoo. You can't catch wahoo now until October, if you're lucky. So things like that, we kind of, you know, put aside. But all of you should know that we do not do any sport fishing on any level. no, no, no. We We are not catch and release girls. Yeah, we don't catch a fish just for the sport of it. And you have to remember that we live on this tiny little island where most of the islanders do not have the type of equipment needed to catch certain fish like wahoo. So when we go out there or to even catch tuna. Yeah, we share everything with them. We share a whole lot of our catch with our family, with friends, with the islanders. Everybody loves we catch barracudas, which Susie and I don't eat, but boy, barracuda meat is really sweet and white and delicious. We just don't care for it. We don't like it. So I we give Wait, that you know to the islanders and they of? love it. What, Susie? There's a morning show that I love to watch every morning. And it's about what's happening in the world and things you need to know. And two of the hosts, sometimes when they open up, spend 10 minutes talking about baseball. We're talking about some sporting event. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I don't care about these sporting events. Tell me what's going on in the world. So for all of you tuning in to this podcast. Sorry, we bored you with our fishing (laughs) fishing stories. So let's get right to it, Susie. Okay. So first question is from Marianne. Susie, my son is having a destination wedding. 
everyone at Av, it's obvious that Marianne needs to travel far to attend this wedding. And here's the story. I'm semi-retired, but I work part-time. I have $10,000 in credit card debt, $2,000 in savings. I'm only 54, but I understand that at this age, I should be far more financially responsible. I need to secure my financial future. She just got a tax bill of $3,000, and she now needs to survive on her credit cards and that will cost her at least another $5,000. So If ready? she goes to the wedding. Yeah. I don't want to miss my son's wedding. I feel like there will be some resentment if I do not go. This is a really heartbreaking decision. What do I do? Please help. Well, we know the answer to that, everyone. Not necessarily. You think, KT, I'm just going to say don't go. Right? You think that, right? Yeah. All right. Here's what I really think, Marianne. One of two things are happening here. Either your son has absolutely no idea about the severity of your financial situation. You really don't have $2,000 in savings. You have $13,000 of money that you owe before this wedding. $10,000 in credit card debt, $3,000 to this tax bill. So the truth of the matter is, you are, if you use up your savings, you owe $11,000 and you have no savings whatsoever if you look at it that way. But you're thinking about possibly adding $5,000 onto your credit cards, plus that reduces your credit limit. Why? because you only have so much of a credit limit, but you're still using your credit cards simply to live on. You cannot afford this on any level on your own. That's number one. So back to what I was saying, either your son has absolutely no idea about the severity of your financial situation, or if he does, I'm just going to say this, how dare he how dare he, without talking to you about it, plan a destination wedding knowing that you can't afford to go without offering to pay for you? I don't think he knows. We don't know if he knows or not. Then if he doesn't know, he should pay for her's mom if he wants her there. If he wants her there. So I was getting there, KT. But if he knows and he has planned this destination wedding, knowing your circumstances, the hard feelings of resentment shouldn't be from him to you. It should be from you to him for not wanting his mother there enough that he would have planned a wedding that you could attend without having it cost you a penny. If on the other hand, and I hope the other hand is what's true. He doesn't know anything about the severity of your financial situation. You are to tell him. And you are to say, sweetheart, I love you more than life itself. But let me tell you a little bit about what's going on with me financially. So if you want me to come, and I want to come more than you have any idea, two things, either you're going to have to pay for me, or if you can't pay for me, then how about if 
we at least have a Zoom wedding where you Zoom me in so I can participate that way. Those are your choices, but the possibility of you paying for this by putting it on your credit cards is not happening on my watch. No way. Well, there you go, Marianne. Call your son. You know what I would like all of you to do that we're just listening to that? Can you go on to the Women in Money app? And under this podcast that released today, it's up there for a while on my wall. Can you tell me and send in an email that says, or you can do it on AskSusiePodcast at gmail.com. Do you think her son knows about her financial situation or does not? Just curious if you think he does or he doesn't. All right. Sorry, KT. Go on now. I don't think he knows. My vote is he does not know or he would have never assumed his mom should just fly to wherever that destination is. And I'm going to tell you, I think he knows. Hmm. Okay. That's sad if he does. Yeah. Anyway, this next one's from Kate. I think I know the answer. This has to do with my friend Roth. Hello, KT and Susie. Wait, I know I keep interrupting <laughs> you. I just have to say something that's so hysterical. Somebody wrote in a 27-year-old who is doing so incredible all this money saved, Every, the perfect situation. You know what his mother named him? Because she watched the Susie Orman show for all these years. <laughs> she named him Ira after I-R-A. Is that funny? I told you if I had we had a baby, our first son would be called Roth. <laughs> or our first daughter. <laughs> Oh, no, that Roth is a man's name. It's not a, a girl's oh, name. Oh, it doesn't matter today. Okay, ready? I am leaving my current job where I have a Roth 401k. I'm trying to figure out what to do with this account once I leave. We make about 300000 a year, so don't we don't qualify for a Roth IRA. What options do I have? Many thanks, Kate. I have. I know the answer. Let me see this email just so I can read it, just so I can make sure I heard it correctly. She has a Roth 401k. Yes. All right. So she wants to know what are her options that she has because she's leaving her current job. But she doesn't say her age. All right. She's assuming that she's young, but she and her husband combined make over 300. Yeah, but she's leaving her right mm -hmm. job. So Can't it doesn't she matter. roll it over? So what she can do, everybody, and this is important for all of you to know, is that she can, if she's leaving, she has a Roth 401k, she can roll that over into a Roth IRA at any discount brokerage firm she wants, even though it doesn't matter, KT, how much money she's making, doesn't matter her income Income has nothing to do with converting an account or rolling over accounts. It only has to do with if you're going to contribute yearly to an Roth IRA. That's it. I want all of you listening to this to get this right. When you go from a Roth 401k to a Roth IRA, even if you had the Roth 401k for 15 years, your time period does not transfer with you. So you all want to have 
a Roth IRA, even if all of it has in there is 50 bucks, that you start right now so that when you do end up retiring and you want to take money from a Roth 401k and put it into a Roth IRA by rolling it over, if your Roth IRA has already been open for five years, then you meet the five-year time clock. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I did an amazing podcast on the five-year rule that all of you should know about. And if you look up the podcast on February 6th, and you should really mark that podcast because you will need to go back to it time and time again to make sure that you don't forget anything about the five-year rule. That podcast will teach you everything you need to know. So it does not matter if you don't qualify for a Roth IRA right now. What you will do is when you roll it over, you can roll it over into a Roth IRA. Then it will be a Roth IRA rollover, not contingent on income, and the time clock will start the day that you do that. So that is your option, and that is probably exactly what you should do. All right. Okay, next question, Susie, is from Sharon. Hi, Susie. I opened a personal account using my social security number to purchase an I-bond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also want to purchase other I-bonds under my business. Hmm, smart. Do I need two separate accounts? Yes. Next. Okay. (laughs) That's good. Everybody, you need to get this, right? You can only have one account under your name. If you're going to open up another account as a trust account, a business account, your spouse has to be a separate account. So you have to open up a whole new account. All right. Okay, good. Next question is from Susie. Hi, Susie and KT. I got your will and trust kit to get my affairs in order. Good on you. Yes. As I complete the trust portion and proceed with funding the trust, I wasn't sure if I should include my regular banking accounts, which I had already added beneficiaries to. Should I include that in the revocable trust? Yes. I recall you stated in previous podcasts that the beneficiaries would trump the trust. So if I have a power of attorney, should that be sufficient with beneficiaries to the banking account in the event that I am incapacitated? The reason why I really want all of you, and I've said this before and I'm going to say it again, that if you're doing a revocable living trust, and my opinion is most of you should have one, is that you want your bank accounts to be owned by the trust. You also want the beneficiaries to be the trust. And the reason is this. All of us think that everything's going to go exactly like we think it's going to go. And a beneficiary or a pay-on-death account for a bank account only allows your beneficiaries to get that money if you die. If you don't die, it doesn't help them at all. If you become incapacitated, they cannot pay your bills or write your checks for you. Now you say you have a power of attorney. So that should be sufficient enough that in case you become incapacitated, they can step in for you. 
I don't think so. And the reason is this. Many financial institutions do not trust power of attorneys when the person who granted the power is already incapacitated. And the reason is this. You could have revoked that power of attorney. You could have done another one, and that was just an old one. And the bank has no idea if it's valid or not. When you have an incapacity clause within the trust, as my must-have documents do, if there is an incapacity and you named somebody to be your successor trustee, they then just simply take that trust into the bank. In fact, the bank already has it. They see the date on it and they absolutely trust that because it's been signed and notarized and they believe that. So I would rather see you truthfully do what? Do a bank account that's owned by the Living Revocable Trust. One more thing. What happens if you and your beneficiaries, maybe it's your son, your daughter, your kid, you're all in a car crash together and you die, but now your beneficiaries are incapacitated and they can't really inherit anything because they're not capable. Or you're in a car crash, you become incapacitated and your beneficiaries die. Mm. Now, who's going to take care of you? Or maybe your power of attorney for finances became incapacitated. Who's going to take care of you? These are things that a trust thinks about for you because you don't like to think about them yourself. That's true. All right. Next question is from Lori. You seem very low key today. I do? Yes. Why? You just do. That was a really low, that was a very sad scenario. Why would I be upbeat after listening to that scenario of everybody dying or getting incapacitated? Because it's realistic, I know, but it's not something I'm going to be upbeat about on any level. You should see KT. KT cries at everything. Yes. Everything. We'll be watching a news report and all of a sudden I look over and she is crying. Her and Colo both. We have Colo. Colo sits with me, goes, turn it, turn it, meaning turn the channel. <laughs> turn it, turn it. The two of them are such crybabies. All right, go on. Okay, so this one, I'll be upbeat about this one. This is from Lori. Yeah, yeah baby. baby. <laughs> I'm 57, Susie. I have a 401k with fidelity valued at roughly $850,000. Yeah. Yeah, baby. I plan to work another 10 years. Is it wise to roll that over into an IRA? I she means a Roth IRA or an IRA? Well, she wouldn't want to roll it to a Roth IRA because all 850000 would become taxable to her. Okay, so at an that IRA. Point. So you could probably, the place where you work would allow you to do a partial rollover at this point. But with 10 years left to work, I would just leave it exactly where I had it. But I would really think about making contributions to the Roth 401k versus the traditional 401k. All right. Oh, but wait, I have something more to say. One thing, Lori, is this. If you have money in a Roth 401k that you're going to start contributing, like I said a little bit ago, make sure you open up a Roth IRA now if you don't have one to start the time clock. 
even if that means you don't qualify for a Roth contributory run right now, open up a little traditional one, 50 bucks, and convert it to a Roth so the time clock starts now. So 10 years from now, if you're contributing to a Roth 401k at your place of employment, that when the time comes, you can roll over into a Roth IRA tax-free, and you've already met the five-year time clock rule. All right. Great. Next question is from Loretta. This is for her 95-year-old mom. She has a good portfolio and has been wisely investing since she married in the 1940s. She is in good health and still interested in looking after her assets, which are in a trust. She recently had a long-term bond mature for $100,000. We were wondering, Susie, if you think mom is better off keeping in ca- keeping it in cash or putting some in a two or three year treasury or I bond. I love this question. I love that her mother's 95 and still very engaged in her finances. Yeah. You know, at 95, um, obviously if you wanted to put some in the stock market and high yielding dividend stocks and everything you could. However, I think why put any stress on yourself and or your mom because she doesn't need the $100,000. So why not just keep it safe and sound, which means put $10,000 obviously into a series I bond. You know how much I love them, but there's nothing wrong with purchasing two or three year treasury notes at a nice interest rate here, two and a half, 2.7. They keep going up and down and just have it safe and sound and, and just have it there and where you can sell it if you need it. All right. Okay, Susie, I think this is going to make you a little feisty. I don't know if, um, I don't think there's a name on this, actually. I think she just wants to get your advice ready for this, everybody. Hi, good morning. This is the first time I'm writing in. I'm 62 years old. I am an only child, and my father is 81 years old. My mom has passed. So this is a father-daughter question. She's 62. She's 62. Daddy's 81. Mm -hmm. All right, ready? My father has some money in a bank account, about $66,000. He doesn't know that I know this. Well, now we have problems right there. Wait, this is already starting to give us a clue of where this is going. Mm -hmm. Ready? And he also has some CDs, which we have discussed years ago. I have some money difficulties right now. So I asked my dad for a small portion of my inheritance to pay off some of my bills, like Mm $10,000. That's a lot of money. I asked him if he could cash in his CDs. He said, no, I'll have to pay taxes. And I said, well, if you're over 59 and a half, you won't have to pay any penalties to withdraw. He said, absolutely not. I am not touching it. I won't touch it. The answer is no. Don't ask me again. Now, her question to you is, is this the truth? (laughs) Yeah, it's the truth not to ask him again. No way. I think what you're asking me, is it the truth about the 59 and a half that he won't have to pay any penalties to withdraw? That's not the truth. 59 and a half only pertains to what? To retirement accounts. 
It does not pertain to certificates of deposits that are owned outside of retirement accounts. And yes, there is a penalty. He's telling you the truth. If in fact he bought, let's just say he did five years ago, a five-year certificate of deposit, or he bought a few of them, and it was guaranteeing him an interest rate at that time for five years. If he breaks it and he withdraws his money before five years is up or that CD matures, yeah, there can be a three-month interest penalty. There can be a six-month interest penalty. You never know how it works. However, here's what you're not thinking about. I get that at the age of 62, you have $10,000 of debt and you're scared and you don't know what to do about it. But I want you to think about your father who is 81 years of age. And the truth of the matter is, who's going to take care of him since mama, his wife now is gone and you see that he has $65,000 in a bank account and you think that's a lot. That's nothing when you are 81, 82 years of age. And if you do have money in certificates of deposit, that means he needs to feel safe and sound because it's not invested where? In the stock market. So it tells you something about your father that he's trying to make sure that he can take care of himself when he gets older. So you shouldn't be mad at him. You should understand that. And the truth of the matter is you need to come to grips with the reality. If he goes through all of this money and he doesn't have any money, he's going to come to you, hopefully, to ask you to help him. So you guys better get on the same side of the table here and support one another. Now, there are ways for you to deal with your $10,000 of debt. Go to nfcc.org and negotiate with them to take over your credit card debt, reduce it to 0% and put you on a five-year payment program. But there's nothing your father can do as he's getting older if he needs money and he doesn't have it. So no, he should never give you this money while he's alive. And number two, you need to be really loving and understanding about what he's going through. Yeah. Because yeah, she will be 82 one day as well. And without money, she'll know. So you got it. But, gotta, but you don't assume that he's lying to you. He's he not just lying. is being very firm yes. and, and doesn't and wants you to be more responsible. That's all. Okay, next question. In in the same light, this is a, an opposite term. Wait, before you, I keep interrupting you today. I know. You know what's interesting about that one? What if he had been lying? Then he didn't want to give right. her the money. If he had been lying, what would you have done? What if my answer would have been, yeah, he's lying. No penalties, nothing. He can get at that money anytime he wants. That wouldn't have changed my answer whatsoever. Okay, that's a good point. This next question, Susie, from Tammy is in the same light of what we just read, but on the other side of the table. Dear Susie and KT, I am inheriting a large sum of money. Is it okay to put some in my child's name? Will it hurt his chance for a scholarship towards college? You know, a lot of you lately have been writing this into me, especially about if you buy I-bonds in your kid's name, is it going to hurt them for a scholarship? 
In most cases, there's a really big difference between a scholarship and financial aid. A scholarship is based on the student's merits, their grades, their extracurricular activities. Do they deserve a scholarship based on who they are and what they have done in high school? Financial aid is based on how much do the kids have in their individual names or in a Uniform Gift to Minors Act account versus what you have in your name. So money that is in the kid's name or custodial account absolutely can hurt them for financial aid. So, but there is a difference. It does not hurt in most cases for scholarships. All right, Katie. So this is my final email, but it's not a question. It's a statement and something Uh-oh. I want to share What'd with I do all wrong now? you didn't. I, I, you did everything right, Susie, but this is a great, great, great email from Cheryl. And Cheryl, thank you so but much. But I don't always do everything right. There are people who write in who say, I disagree with what you said. And that's fine. You can disagree with what I said. I hear you. And I'll write you back and I'll say, I hear you, which means I understand where you're coming from and I get that. Doesn't mean that I think I'm wrong. But you never know. Sometimes I do think I'm wrong and then I'll correct it. All right. Okay, everyone, this from Cheryl is going to justify that you're definitely right on this particular topic. So Cheryl writes this and shared it, and I want all of you to listen to this. Hi, Susie and KT. I love your show and always learn something new when listening. I wanted to share with you that I don't have a living revocable trust, and I know I need one fast. I was in the car with my son last night. He was turning towards our street. An 18-wheeler came barreling up the hill toward us. And I said, oh my God. My son instantly looked in the rearview mirror. He yanked the car over, allowing the truck to barely squeak by. All I can see when I close my eyes is this scenario. Had I been incapacitated, we could have lost our home because I'm the breadwinner in the family, and in an instant, life can change. Susie, you've impressed this upon me, and this situation really brought it home. Thank God for my son's quick thinking. And at this point, I'll be doing my living revocable trust today. Why did you choose that one to read? Because I think that Cheryl finally got a real life wake up call. And sadly, none of you should have a wake up call. You should just do wake up. Yeah, just do it and put this in place. But Cheryl's, you know, near death situation really opened her eyes. And the only thing she thought of was, oh, my God, if I don't have my will and trust in place, I would lose everything. Yeah. But somewhere that touched you inside to read that. So Cheryl, if you're listening, thank God nothing happened. But I do want to say to all of you that this is a great email because nothing happened. But too many times I'm reading too many emails after it's too late. So all of you, the reason that we created the must-have documents is that they are documents you must have. I have so many podcasts on why they're so important. But again, if you want to check them out, go to suzyorman.com slash offer. And that's where you can get $2,500 worth of state-of-the-art documents for $99. You know what time it is, KT. Quizzy time. 
Now, this is an interesting quizzy. And quizzy time, everybody, is where I get to ask KT a question and at the same time ask all of you that same question. KT, you have to wait before you answer so people can think about it. You like to jump in there, you little rabbit, you. And we see how much has KT learned over all the years. That's not nice, Susie. <laughs> all right, read it. Read me the quiz. Let me read that quiz. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through that now. Quizzy. No, all right. All anyway, right. so are we ready? My husband and I retired ages 58 and 60. Our home is paid for and we have no debt. We both have defined benefits from our former employers that cover all of our expenses and travel. We invest every month about $1,000 into a retirement account into stocks. One of us wants to stop investing and instead deposit the amount of money, KT, that they're putting into stocks every month to increase their savings for the eventual home renovation that they want to do. Now, here's the question. One of us wants to keep investing the money. The other one, again, wants to keep it safe and sound in a savings account. So rather than taking the $1,000, which it is, every month that they're investing in the market right now, one of them wants to continue doing that. The other wants to put it in a savings account and just keep it safe and sound for a renovation that they're doing. They currently have $72,000 liquid in a bank account. 10000 of that is for the home renovation. They do not say how much the home renovation is going to be. Should they, given the markets are down here, probably going to go down some more, should they continue to invest or should they put this money in savings simply to do the home renovation? Can they do a 50-50? They can do anything you tell them. Think about it. Think about it, everybody. What would you tell them? Do a 50-50. So you would- Half of it and continue to invest in the stock market, which is- going down, it may not recoup for quite a few years. The other half put it towards the renovation. What so that if, everybody's happy. Uh-huh. Now, obviously, if they want to do a renovation, wouldn't you want to do a renovation sooner than later? You wouldn't really want to have to wait five or six, seven years to do it. I got news for you, Susie. <laughs> if what they have now is $10,000. Towards the renovation, but maybe the renovation is 20000 KT. We don't know that. Yeah. I was going to say, there's not a lot you're going to renovate for ten grand at this the prices these days. All right. So you would have them do 50-50. My, my goal is keep them both happy. Mm -hmm. Let them both be happy. They do say, neither of us feels the need to be right or cares if we are wrong. We are just overwhelmed with the decision and need some direction. Yeah, do a 50-50, everybody. There's, your, there's the answer, Susie. He's happy, she's happy, 50-50. Put 500 a I month. I hear you, yeah. I hear you, I got it. What are you going to do? All right, she's going to tell them to put it in the stock market. <clears throat> you want them to put all that money in the savings? Ding, 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 ding. How come? A few reasons. Number one, money that you need within a five-year period of time. Should never be in, in the, the stock market. market. So even if it's $500 a month, that's 
$100,000 a year. That's over five years, $30,000 that very well could go to 15 or less. Anything can happen. So if you know that you need money for a project and you know that project is needed to be done or wanted to be done within five years and you have money sitting in other stocks and other things and you have a pension and everything's great, I would just make it so that it was safe and sound and that's what I would do and put it in savings. All right. You still don't agree with that, do you? No, I, I was just trying to make them both happy the same way but that you like people to feel secure. No, I like them KT, to be happy. It's, happy doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. I mean, that's when you tell people like that woman who wants to go to her son's destination no, wedding. She, he needs she to could be happy if she goes. So you tell her, okay, go. No. That's why people get into credit card debt because they want to feel happy when they make a purchase. As she's yawning here, as she's <laughs> yawning, are you kidding me? All right, that's it. I've had it. That Let's brings go. us to the end. Let's go. Susie, make me a coffee. I'm not making you anything when you're yawning while I'm talking. <laughs> Reminds me of my radio show that used to come to every day and fall asleep. It was at the wrong hour. Yeah, four o'clock in the afternoon. Every four uh, o'clock, I need a little nap. During my radio show that I could see her sleeping. Anyway, all right. Until next Sunday, or this coming Sunday, there's only one thing we want people to know when it comes to their money, and what is it, KT? Okay, you all need to be safe, strong, and secure. secure. All right, everybody, see Have you a good on one. Sunday. Bye-bye. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman is acting as a certified financial planner, advisor, a certified financial analyst, an economist, CPA, accountant, or lawyer. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman make any recommendations as to any specific securities or investments. All content contained in this podcast is for informational and general purposes only and does not constitute financial accounting or legal advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and financial advisors regarding your particular situation. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman accepts any responsibility for any losses which may arise from accessing or reliance on information in this podcast. And to the fullest extent permitted by law, we exclude all liability for loss, damages, direct or indirect, arising from the use of this information. The must-have documents discussed in this podcast are legal documents created by a lawyer and distributed by Hay House.